Straw Hut Media. So in 2016, I woke up the day of event finals and at that point, I had been the alternate. They picked me onto the team because somebody got hurt. And I was just so genuinely happy. Like, I remember listening to that song, Rise Up, and like singing it very poorly, very loudly in the shower, genuinely just laughing at myself. And just having this general sense of like, this is the fucking day. And, you know, I went on, I had breakfast at the cafeteria. There's always so many people there, obviously. It's the Olympic Village and it's, it's just amazing. Um, always had eggs, bread, some sort of ham probably. You know, always had some coffee with milk. And, you know, I went on and that day it was really interesting because the very last day of the Olympics for gymnastics, it's always parallel bars women's floor and high bar. And I was the first competitor on parallel bars and the very last competitor on high bar, which means I was gonna be the very last competitor of the Olympics for gymnastics. I went up, you know, I started my, my training, getting ready for parallel bars. I was not doing well on my dismount. I kept falling on my butt or like over rotating and like running forward. But once I got to the actual competition, I did my routine, probably the best routine that I ever did in my entire life, and I stuck my dismount somehow. My score comes up, I'm the first person, I'm in first place, waiting for the rest of the athletes, everybody's going, doing a great, great job, I'm still in first. Last competitor goes, he does an amazing routine, sticks his landing, and he like just, just edges me out, but it was still such a validating moment, you know, like, being the alternate and at, even at that point becoming the most successful uh, US male gymnast. Then I went to the back gym, you know, while the girls were competing, Simone and Ali were just doing it big. Uh, I think they both got gold and silver. Uh, you know, then I started warming up for my hybrid routine. I wasn't watching anybody, I was just kind of in my own, in my own mind, you know, just really focusing on me and really trying to make sure that I was gonna give the audience a really great performance. I went out to do my routine. I started, everything was going really well. I was like, loved hearing the, the reactions of the crowd. It's my favorite, which is why I got into performing, just hearing those reactions. I landed my routine and I was just so excited, you know? I finally got on the podium for the second time. I look up into the crowd and I see my mom crying and I start crying. I try to convince myself, stop crying. You're on international television. This is not the time. But that was definitely the, one of the best days of my life, if not the best day of my career for sure. When I stuck my landing on parallel bars, it was the most insane feeling ever because again, I couldn't figure out how to land for whatever reason in the training. and. I just felt it in the air. I knew exactly where I was. I knew when the ground was coming. And when I like sat that down, I just let out a massive yell. I was like, Rah! and there was a, there's a great picture that reminds me every time I look at it that I have to get back in the gym and find that, <laughs> find those muscles again somewhere. But yeah. Danelle Leva has become accustomed to being judged by people. 
He's a professional gymnast who has waited in front of large crowds for the numbers to be called, assessing his performance. He has literally dealt with judges his entire life, but facing the judgment of coming out is a different story. He stood in the spotlight of being an out professional athlete and confronted the stereotypes people fit you into for being part of the LGBTQ community. But Danelle overcame all of that on his journey to a new beginning. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. My name's Danelle Leva. I am a two-time Olympian, three-time Olympic medalist um, in gymnastics, competed for the US. Uh, I'm an actor now and a writer. Danelle Leva has been an elite level gymnast since he was 17 years old. He competed on the US team at the 2012 Summer Olympics in London, where he earned a bronze medal for individual all around. In 2016, he competed again in Rio and walked away with two medals this time, both silver for parallel bars and horizontal bar. No big deal, right? For Danelle, gymnastics was coded into his DNA. He was born in Cuba, where his mother Maria was a member of the national gymnastics team. When Danelle was about two years old, they moved to Miami and met Danelle's stepfather, Yin. As fate would have it, Yin had also competed with Cuba's national gymnastics team. The couple then went on to open up their own gym with Yin also working as a coach. It was impossible for Danelle to ignore the sport, but that didn't mean his parents were pushing him into pursuing gymnastics. My mom actually didn't want me to be a gymnast, funny enough. Yeah, you heard that correctly. His mom did not want him to go into gymnastics, but it wasn't because she didn't want him to follow in her footsteps. It had more to do with Cuba's physical standards for gymnasts. They would literally look at their like body type and technically my body type wasn't correct for gymnastics because I wasn't exactly like super proportionate as they would look for, you know, like my arms were too long, my feet were like way too flat. I was like knock kneed when I was younger, I was bottom heavy, you know, and um, and so she, she just thought that it was gonna be very difficult for me. So his mom was looking out for him. And though she never pushed gymnastics onto her son, Danelle fell in love with the sport. He was just 15 years old when he competed in the 2006 Winter Cup, meaning a lot of his time as a teen was spent at the gym. I literally did nothing outside of either like training for gymnastics or preparing to go train for gymnastics or like, you know, determining what was going to affect my training. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot. And it was like that basically since the time I was like really young. My entire life revolved completely around gymnastics. All the training paid off as Danelle soon became an Olympic medalist. But is there such thing as too much of a good thing, even if you love it? My mom and my then stepdad, they were the owners of the gym. So we would have to go to like every competition and they didn't really have anybody to leave me with. So I was always there at the competitions, even when I wasn't competing. And I would just like roam around the competition area and like, you know, just find other things to do rather than just like sit there and watch gymnastics. It was never like entertaining for me. Was there ever moments when you were like, I don't want to do gymnastics anymore? Um, yeah, obviously. There was so many times where I, I just like wanted to quit, you know, and but then I it was just like it was a lot of fun. You know, for me, it was like a lot of fun to be in the gym flipping. I was truly never and I've never been 
nor probably will I ever be an actual fan of gymnastics, which is hilarious, but I can't like sit and watch a gymnastics competition. It's the only thing that I kind of look back and and wonder whether or not it was the right move because I just felt like there was a lot that I probably could have been learning during the, my off time that could have potentially helped me in like my, my life now. Donnell moved away from his gymnastics career following his time at the 2016 Olympics. He had a new beginning and was pursuing a new career in acting. But with new beginnings come new opportunities, and Donnell finally had the time to explore his identity. In reality, it was just me figuring myself out and kind of accepting things that I always knew, that I always was just like, no, it's fine. Donnell has a bit of a platform, with a quarter of a million followers on Instagram. He decided to find the perfect time to come out about his identity, even if he wasn't entirely sure what that was yet. I was planning on doing it for Pride Month, uh, but then if you remember, that was around the time where everything George Floyd happened. The world turned upside down in the early months of 2020, when businesses shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic, and then people took to the streets to protest the killing of George Floyd and to advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement, one of those advocates being Donnell. So I was like, you know what? There's a lot more important things happening right now. This can wait. <laughs> and so, and I kind of forgot about it. And then I was just, you know, working on my podcast, working on my own things. And the person that helps me produce the podcast, her name is Sarah. She said, hey, uh, it's, it's National Coming Out Day. I think you should probably say something since you're like, you know, such a big advocate and stuff like that and such an ally. I think you should say something. And I was like, Oh. What started out as a friendly suggestion to write a message of support turned into the perfect opportunity for Donnell to tell his own story. I mean, what better day to actually make it public that you're coming out than on National Coming Out Day? I wrote it out and I sent it to her. I sent it to another, like, one of my like best friends and then uh, my best friend in LA, his name is Tommy. I sent it to all three of them. And like all three of them had like almost the exact same reaction where they called me and they were like crying. They're like, are you sure? Like, uh, like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, you know, I think this is the right time. I mean, the first time I had ever come out to like basically anyone other than my like very, very inner circle was that post. In his tweet, Donnell said he had been struggling to figure out who he was. He wrote that he felt other people's perceptions of his sexuality were being imposed on him. He came out as bisexual slash pansexual, but said he still had some figuring out to do. Soon, the positive comments came flooding in. There were a couple people that like surprised me when they reached out just because like, again, like I haven't talked to a lot of different people in a while. And when they reached out, it was, it was nice. But I, I, I don't think that there's been that big of a, of a shift change, you know, like maybe the, the like very initial reaction was like a lot of support, a lot of like, whoa, did no, awesome, you know, like support you. One of those messages he received came from his first gymnastics coach, Chris Brand. Donnell credits a lot of his success to Chris and values his opinion and friendship. He texted me and of course, like the first lines were like, hey, I just saw your last podcast and I didn't know that you had come out. And just that one, I was like, <gasps> 
you know, because I didn't know what was next. It was a long text message. I didn't know what was next. But reading the rest of it, like, I'm pretty sure I teared up if I didn't, like, just full-on cry. Um, but it was insanely validating and just such a breath of fresh air to be able to have somebody like him that I hold to such a high, like, high standard and, and high regard and that I respect him and value his opinion so much for him to be that supportive. You know, like, it was, it was amazing. As he read through the happy messages from his peers, that fear of coming out began to lessen, and he felt more free. Which is hilarious, because it was normal the whole time. Coming out has become somewhat of an event in itself. People see teenagers on television coming out to their parents with a shaky speech recited over dinner. Some news headlines include celebrities publicly sharing their sexuality or gender identity. Despite all the media attention, coming out is rarely a casual topic people discuss openly. It's still such a big deal when it really shouldn't be. And I think that people like me who, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have like some semblance of a platform, the more normal we can make it, the, you know, hopefully the the sooner we'll get to it being like such a non-issue. So you've said that you aren't into rushing to label your sexuality and that you're just happy to enjoy the freedom of living out and open. And and I love the way that your coach is it's Chris Brand, I think, uh, yeah. responded after you came out last year. Yeah, he yeah. texted you saying that he almost sees coming out as irrelevant yeah. as a person saying whether you're right or left handed. Yeah. How close do you think that attitude is to reaching a tipping point in American culture today? I don't think we're very close. If I'm being completely honest, I don't think we're very close. And I mean, it's, it is insanely telling with the fact that we had Donald Trump as a president for four fucking years and we damn near had him again. You know, like it was terrifying. Um, I think that it is definitely like on the rise slowly, but it's still... We just, we still have vocabulary, even with supportive parents and people saying shit like, oh, that's okay. I still love you. Like, what do you mean you still love me? Like, what has changed? Literally nothing. Literally nothing has changed. You just have slightly more knowledge now than you did yesterday, right? So, even even that, even that, like, that seems to not be very, very much of a big deal is, you know, it's because you kind of leaves you wondering, right? It would be amazing for it to start shifting and and for people to literally not care at all. Be like, oh, that's your boyfriend. That's awesome. You know, like, oh, that's your girlfriend. That's awesome. You know, like it, that's your partner, whatever. It doesn't, it, it, like I said, it should be that big of a non-issue. And like, as you know, Chris said, the only thing that matters is whether or not you're a good person. Like, do you, are you a considerate human being? Do you care about others? Are you nice to people? Do you actually help people? That's what I give a shit about. Like, you're, uh, you're black? Whoa. You know, like, you like other genders or you like the same gender? Whoa. You know, like, it's not, it's not a big fucking deal, you know? We mentioned how some queer stories are portrayed in the media. But how does this portrayal affect the lives of people in the real world and how others react to the information? There's a lot of bi erasure, you know, in the world and, and especially like in like film and TV and stuff like that. Like if, if you're a girl and you're bi, it's it, you're going through a phase, you know, it's a fun college experience. If you're a guy and you're bi, you're not, you're just gay, you know, you're just like lying to yourself, you know, and and so it was always that was always like the conflict because I am very attracted to women, 
And so I was like, no, it's fine. You know, but I would always kind of like find myself watching like Transborn or some stuff, right? And then, I, and then I would just be like, well, that's, you know what? No, that's nothing, right? Which was like, how did I not realize that earlier? But it was because like there was so much biracial that I wasn't even well aware of what I was actually experiencing. For any of our listeners that don't know, would you mind just uh, explaining what biracial is? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's just like kind of not validating the fact that being bisexual is a, a, a real thing, you know? Like, there's even people that are married with the opposite sex that are bi, and people are just like, yeah, but they're married with the opposite sex, so it's just a phase, right? Like, no, it's it's really not. You know, you could be you could be in a relationship with the same sex and still like the other sex and vice versa. You know, um, but because like there's so many people that dismiss it as even being a real thing. And that's not even talking about, you know, being pansexual, which is even more like people are like, well, what even is that? Right. Um, it's it's crazy. And then the and then the even crazier thing is that a lot of people think that being bisexual only means liking two two genders, right? Like the same gender and the opposite gender, when in reality, it's it's two or more genders. And then being pan is just liking all, right? And not really <laughs> being attracted to basically everybody. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's a difficult position to be in because I mean, even after you kind of accept the fact like, okay, I'm bi, there's still moments where there's a lot of inner conflict and that comes from a lot of bi erasure. It's safe to say the world has a long way to go on its path to acceptance. It was difficult for Donnell to come out because of judgments he knew he would have to face. In the professional gymnastics world, Donnell sits alongside a few gymnasts who also publicly came out, and a handful of athletes in other pro sports. I'm a massive fan of, of soccer, right? And I don't know a single out soccer player that plays in like the highest leagues. But it's just crazy to me to think about the amount of people that are playing soccer and, no, and like there's not a single out, like nobody's gay, nobody's even bi. Like I, I find that very hard to believe, you know what I mean? So even in just that, I think it's, it's, it's very telling of how, how far we actually still need to come uh, as far as like accepting, uh, you know, athletes from all backgrounds, shapes and sizes, and, and uh, you know, sexual identities. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how Danelle has been coping with pursuing a career in Los Angeles during a pandemic, and how he handles his mental health. Welcome back. Today we're talking to three-time Olympic medalist Danelle Leva about coming out as a professional athlete and what transitioning from a sports career into an arts career looks like. 2020 really challenged us as humans. And as we head into 2021, we are all trying to be our best selves during a momentous time in history. Mental health is something many of us take for granted, even at a time when our sanity is being tested. Danelle Leva worked with a sports psychologist as a competitor and is an active advocate for therapy. He says therapy is something everyone should do. Here's why. Because I just feel like there's, you know, there's this moment where we keep our thoughts in our mind for two specific reasons. One, 
because we don't want to bother anybody. And two, because we think that nobody is really going to understand what we're going through, right? Like there's no way that this person is experiencing the same thing that I am. And then we keep it in our heads. And what happens then is that things start to get insanely muddled, like very gray, very distorted. And you know, like your thoughts start, it just starts to like build like a mold. And the moment that you actually start verbalizing your things, especially with somebody like a therapist, and I've said this reference before, it's essentially, it's like having a, a a shirt that is insanely wrinkled, right? Like at first you just know that the shirt, it's like in a ball, right? And then you're gonna go and you're gonna bring it to the person that's gonna like iron it for you. And you put it, you lay it down. And once you lay it down, you start seeing where all the wrinkles are and you start pointing it out. The therapist's job is just to kind of help you iron them out, right? It's not even them doing it. It's just help, like they're gonna help you. Like here's the iron, this is how you do it. You know, and that's basically, what therapy is, you go, you start talking, and when you hear yourself, most of the time, you are coming up with your own solutions, right? You're hearing, you're just like, oh, but this is the answer, this is the answer. And when you don't have that, the therapist comes and actually gives you the tools and provides you the reflective kind of muscle that is necessary to do that critical thinking. And, and you know, therapy is great, but it's what you do outside of therapy that is truly like groundbreaking, life-changing. You know, you have to do your own, uh, uh, you know, like critical thinking. And it's, it's like, it's like going to a regular doctor. You know, if you need surgery on your shoulder, you're gonna get surgery and then the doctor is gonna send you on your way and then you're gonna have to work that shoulder to bring it back to where you need it to be. It's the same thing, right? The doctor or the therapist is gonna kind of help you out and then you're gonna have to work on it. Um, but I think it's very necessary for everybody because like sometimes we're experiencing things that even we don't know that we're experiencing. I think one of the scariest things about therapy, and I guess like this morning I had an appointment, it was really just to check up on a prescription. But honestly, even I find myself when they're asking you questions, you're like, uh, what, do, what answer do I give? Do I want a higher dosage? Do I need a higher <laughs> dosage? How much information do I actually give them? Right. Is it hard for you to be honest and transparent with your therapist or are you just like an open book here's what's going on help me so i honestly think thankfully because of my athletic career i have like a very high work ethic for things that i know that i want to get better on and i know i knew that because of that i knew going into therapy that because of that if i would if i don't actually talk about what is truly going on, then I'm not going to make any progress. And I want to make progress. I want to become a better version of myself every single day. So I am way more open, you know, and, and therapists at the beginning, like most therapists, if not basically all therapists, they, they kind of, she said, you know, are you, are, are like, are you uncomfortable talking about this stuff? And I was like, no, like, I'm like, let's go, you know, let's lay it all out and let's figure out how, how to move forward. And, um, and I encourage people to do that because it, like, it is terrifying. It's terrifying because you think you're going to get judged. I mean, that's probably why most of, most of us are at therapy because we were constantly judged in, in ways that we definitely shouldn't have been. But it's literally their job. Once you like understand the fact that it's literally like their job to listen to all of those things and help you properly and they're not going to judge you at all, it does become much easier. It does become easy, just easier. 
I think it's great for our listeners to hear from someone like you who's achieved such, I guess you'd say, really once in a lifetime things that most people will never do, like become an Olympic athlete. <laughs> so hearing you talk about mental health openly and being transparent and that like even an elite athlete who has meddled needs to talk to someone sometimes. I think we probably need to talk to people the, the most. We we live in this like, as an athlete, you live in this this bubble, you know, like everything in your life is so insanely structured. There's no other aspect in life that is as structured. I mean, I knew I knew the time of day when the next competition was going to be. You know, you literally prepare for it, right? In real life, you don't have that. Like as an actor now, I don't know when my next audition is coming. You know, you just kind of have to be prepared always. But it's being able to have that sort of like understanding that there will always be another another shot. No matter what, there will always be another shot. And with therapy, you also help kind of process all of these these anxieties and, and these self-doubts and things like that. Um, so yeah, I'm always going to be a big advocate for, for therapy. It must be such a huge shift after spending so much of your life, well, so much of your life so far, pursuing and becoming an Olympic gymnast. How are you sorting out who you want to be now? For me, it was difficult because although I knew that I wanted to be an actor and that's exactly what I did, you know, like I immediately got into studying and, and going to classes and, and learning of everything that I could learn about the entertainment industry. Sometimes I would get like three auditions in the week and then I wouldn't get one for like six, seven months. And it was really hard. But understanding that there's almost like way more freedom now and you can kind of structure your life in the way that you desire. For me, as an athlete, like I said earlier, everything had to do with gymnastics. And there were things that I that I just didn't do. And at the time it was fine because I understood that there was a higher like reason behind it because I knew what my goal was. So it never truly felt like a sacrifice. But now, now that I've like lived, you know, like I would never trade it for anything in the world. Not only did Donnell go through the phase in his life where he had to decide what to do after having an all-consuming occupation, he also supported and helped others going through that same transition. I mean, I was very lucky in the fact that I knew exactly what I wanted to do after I retired. You know, most athletes, especially high-level athletes, they have no idea. And that transitional period of you know, retiring from the sport and then figuring out is like, it can be truly devastating. Now you don't see as much uh, in this, in, in athletes as you do in like retired military, but it is an insanely similar situation with people who are no longer in the military and they have no idea what, like what the hell to do with their lives. It is very difficult. It is very difficult. A lot of people end their lives because of it, you know, and it's, it's very sad and it's truly just because they have no they they feel like they have no sense of purpose and it's just helping people find that sense of purpose finding their why you know what is truly going to drive them as much as it did when they were an athlete or part of the military you know having found his own drive in acting Danell moved to the city of angels in november of 2016. immediately he knew he had made the right decision i was there for a month 
And when I got back home for the holidays and stuff like that, as soon as I like set foot in Miami, I was like, this is no longer home. Like I, I need to be in LA. And I just felt, and I still feel this like insane pull that that's where I need to be. It's just because I love LA so much for so many different reasons. You know, the energy here is insanely different. The people are insanely different. Uh, you know, especially for what it is that I want to do. Unfortunately, his time in LA was cut short. The COVID-19 pandemic forced the US to enforce very strict lockdowns, especially in California. The gym he coaches at closed. He left the city and has been living with his family in Miami. His recent move has made him realize how much he loves Los Angeles and he's eager to come back. Although he's not acting right now, Danelle is keeping very busy. He launched his own podcast called Out of Bounds. I do talk about gymnastics sometimes. I talk about acting sometimes. I talk about mental health. Like the last episode, I gave tips and tricks on how to survive 2021. And like, you know, I brought up like, you know, some political points. Uh, and then on the one before that, it was just a very, a very personal kind of like, you know, hard on the sleeve episode where it was like completely uh, political. And it, I was, you know, sharing my thoughts on the attack on the Capitol. It's very much out of the boundaries of, what people kind of would perceive a podcast for me to be, you know, uh, and as well, it kind of has, you know, the wordplay of a very sports centered phrase, which is like, you know, going out of bounds. Um, I have people on, you know, and I interview them and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's really kind of just my way of sharing my story the way that I want to, and also just continuing to, to perform. What's next for you? What are you applying your talents to and your experience to today? What are you working on? I just started working recently with this really incredible agent. You know, his name is Joe. Um, it's, he's an amazing dude, but he's also like obviously great at what he does. You know, I've been doing a lot of auditions there. I've been trying to grow as much as possible, analyzing movies and TV shows and just how the writing works and, and everything, like why the actors chose um, the way that they did that scene, uh, you know, and obviously doing the podcast. I am going to try and, and start doing like video game streaming and maybe even like podcast streaming at some point. Um, still, still trying to figure out uh, that when that'll start happening. Um, but yeah, just trying to fill my day with as much as I can, you know, try and make some supplemental income so that I actually don't, would never really need a, a regular job where I can focus completely on acting and writing. For updates on Donnell's journey, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram or subscribe to his YouTube channel. Daniel J. Leva, uh, spelled D-A-N-E-L-L-J-L-E-Y-V-A altogether, both on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my podcast, I put it up on my YouTube account, uh, which is just my first and my last name. And... Um, yeah, and then I do have a Twitch account already, so you can start following me there and in, in hopes for whenever I actually start streaming. And it's uh, it's spelled D-A-N-I-T-O-4-1-1-7.
Thanks for listening. Pride is a production of Straw Hat Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pride. You can follow me at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. This episode was written by Caitlin McDaniel. What is going on in the Olympic Village? It is absolutely unique. It is undescribable. You know, like you, it is incredible. So people were hooking up. That's it. Yeah. Like, why not? You know, it's some gorgeous people at the Olympics, you know, you got to break neck all the time. <laughs>